Good evening. It is good to be together this evening. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here. We won't have slides tonight, so if you will, open your Bible to Ephesians, the third chapter, and uh, we'll begin looking there. In a few moments, we'll go over also to Revelation, uh, the 12th chapter, but we'll begin and study for a while in Ephesians, the third chapter. Do keep in mind that the couple that was baptized, Howard and Carol Williams, uh, their address is an information center, and we'd encourage you to send them a note of encouragement. And remember that she has cancer, is in a very, very serious situation with uh, her health, and we want to encourage them and pray for them in every way that, that we can. And so uh, be sure and grab one of those uh, papers on your way out at the information center that have their address so that you can do that uh, this week. I've heard word uh, from uh, the group that is camping this week at Fall Creek Falls, and I believe they had 247 in worship this morning, and so that's, that's pretty amazing, and we're glad that that group can be together, but we're also glad this group can be together tonight. And as we continue studying, you think about last week we looked in Ephesians, the second chapter. And we saw how many times that the Lord, as he was leading towards verse 19, 20, and 21, but as he was leading to that, he continually talked about that mystery that was being revealed, how that we're all being made alive together, how we're being raised up together. And each time it's together with Christ. So we're with Christ, but if we all come to Christ, we're all together with Christ. And so we've been made alive together. We've been raised up together. We have been made to sit together in heavenly places. And then that barrier that would divide the Jew or the Gentile or anyone for that matter, he says that that, that barrier has been destroyed. And that those who were far off, especially referring to the Gentiles, they have been made near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he comes around and about verse 16 or so there, he talks about that we have been all or both Jew and Gentile reconciled to God into the one body. And so the emphasis over and over is what we have through Jesus Christ that brings us together into the one body. And then at the close of that, really, really just makes it very clear that the emphasis now is upon the church. And he's saying, listen, we're all together citizens of that one kingdom. We're all members of that one house, that one family of God. And then he goes on to explain to us that it is because we're all built on the same foundation. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone and what the apostles have taught. And we all build on that foundation a temple of God, a habitation for God to dwell in. If you look back under the old covenant, the, the structures of structures on the earth was the temple because in the temple had a most holy place and in the most holy place was the mercy seat of God, the presence of God. And, and the high priest could only go in there once a year and nobody else could go. But you remember when Jesus Christ died, his blood was shed. And you remember all were made to draw near. And one way we see that symbolized is that in the temple, when Jesus died, the veil was literally rent in two from top to bottom. God tore the temple open, allowing Jews, allowing Gentiles, anyone that wanted to come through the Father or to the Father, they could do it through 
Jesus, all were going to be made available to the Father, one, the church, through Jesus. What a powerful, powerful teaching about the church. And we talked about that last week, and then we began this week again, emphasizing the point that for individuals that look at the church as some kind of casual social club, they look at the church as, as a place to hang out as long as you enjoy it. They look at it a place, the church, a, a place to belong to as long as it's convenient. And then you see people come and go, and, and their relationship with the church is very loose, it's very casual, it's non-committal. And our plea for the last few weeks has been this. Maybe we don't really understand what the church is. Because if we truly understood what the church is, we would realize that it is a place to form a connection for life and for eternal life. And so then we began this morning in Ephesians, the third chapter. And when we look down at verse 14, we see that Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees. But yet that's the way he began verse one by saying, for this reason. And then it's almost as if he interrupts himself. He says, but wait a minute, before I say that prayer for the church, let me tell you a few other things that's on my mind and on my heart and that I want you to understand before we do this. And you remember this morning, we won't go over it all, but you remember he talked about, I'm a prisoner of this. I, I believe in this. And it's not from me. It's revealed from, from God, from the Holy Spirit. And I'm giving you this message. But what I want you to see, and, and I mentioned this a little bit early service and, and forgot to uh, late service. And so I want us to begin on the same page, not of this, because it has a lot to do with what we're about to go to. So look with me, if you will, in, in uh, the third chapter. And notice what he says in verse 2. Uh, verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Notice this. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. And then in the following verses, he's going to talk about how that that's revealed by revelation and he wrote it down and you can read it and you can understand his knowledge and wisdom, etc. But, but notice, he said, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, verse two, you realize you could take that word dispensation out and it would make sense, wouldn't it? Let's read it. If indeed you have heard of the grace of God, which was given for me to you. That makes sense, doesn't it? But you see, that's not all he's trying to say there. Obviously, that's why the word dispensation is there. And the word dispensation, it means administration of or stewardship of. And so there is this administrating of the grace of God that has been before the beginning of time and it has been orchestrated by God all throughout time and we're going to see the fullness of it in eternity. And so what Paul is doing a lot of as he comes out of the second chapter and throughout the third chapter is he's saying, I want to talk with you about the administrating of the grace of God. I want you to see this beautiful work of the grace of God that's been given. And a part of that's going to involve Jesus Christ coming and redeeming us, but a big part of it is going to be what he redeemed us to. He redeemed us, of course, to eternal life, but he brought us together in the church, and that's a part of the administration of the grace of God. And, and it's, it's very powerful as we come down and, and we studied uh, in, in the last part of the sermon this morning. Uh, let's begin reading at verse 8. We'll give quick review and where we're going to slow down is 10 where we stop this morning and we'll pick up in 9 and 10. Uh, look with me in, in verse 8. Paul says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given 
that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You see, now that's part of the grace. That's part of the administrating of that grace. How is God going to allow the Gentiles to know that his grace reaches them? And God says, I'm going to send, I'm going to send Paul to help take care of that. Earlier, he said, I'm going to begin by sending Peter. I'm going to send him over to Cornelius and let him know. And, and so we see that, that God is administering this grace and that he's created the church and he's bringing us all in to one. But notice when we go into verse 9, he says, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Now, some of you that have other translations, instead of the word fellowship there, you have perhaps the word to administer where it would say to make all see what is the administration of the mystery. And, and what is being said there is this, this administrating of this grace, this mystery, since before the beginning of time, it has been planned, but it's only been revealed little by little. And now when Christ came, the, the fullness, if you will, has been, the veil has been pulled back. And now we're able to see more of the intent of God's grace into the church than ever before. And that word intent leads us to verse 10. And, and, and this to me in, in 10, 11 is where this really becomes uh, very revealing to us to understand the beauty of the church and, and as it pertains to our salvation. Look at 10. To the intent... And, and to keep in mind, Paul's still talking about back in verse 8, what I did is I went and told the Gentiles, but then in verse 9, my job was to make all see what was that administration of the mystery. And then you say, okay, so what is this administration of, of the grace that, that, you, that we're a part of? And look in 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Let's break that down. What does he mean when he says to the intent? Intent is very important. Imagine if you see someone walking in an area that, that they shouldn't be in, or at least someone thinks they shouldn't be in. And so maybe a security guard or someone in charge goes up and says, what's your intentions here? Oh, well, my purpose here is... All right, so Paul says, let's talk about this, this administration of the grace. What's the intent here? To the intent, the purpose, that now the manifold wisdom of God, the, the, the variation of the wisdom of God, how, how big, how deep is the wisdom of God? Do you remember we studied this passage quickly this morning? Back in Romans, the 11th chapter, you remember how deep the, the, the manifold wisdom of God is. In verse 33 of Romans 11 chapter, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are all his judgments and his ways past finding out. Do you hear how the wisdom of God is described here? It's not, it's not something that's just barely enough. It's definitely not insufficient. It's something that the wisdom of God is so deep. It's not like, hey, do you have a cup of the wisdom of God? Do you have a bucket of the wisdom of God? Do, do you have a barrel of the wisdom of God? Do you have a pit that is full of the wisdom? No. It's almost as if he was saying, you can create a universe 
where, where you'd look down and say there's a hole here the size of the universe and God's wisdom would bubble over that. He says it is rich. He says it is unsearchable. Listen, when you and I start bathing our spiritual life in the wisdom of God, where we get up every morning and we set out to live our life based upon the wisdom of God, our life's going to be different. When we set out to, to want to discover the wisdom of God about every facet of life and about eternal life, things are going to be different. Now, I'm about to share something with you. I don't claim to even begin to put my toe into the understanding of this. All I can do is tell you what the Word of God says, and I love to try to figure out, really, how deep is this? Go back to there to the third chapter in verse 10. What is the purpose? The intent is now the manifold wisdom of God is going to be made known through what? Or by what? It's going to be made known by the church. If the manifold wisdom of God was a color, it'd be iridescent. That's in one translation, that's how that word is translated there. The iridescent wisdom of God. I started to show you a slide tonight that just simply was iridescent in color. You can picture it, can't you? It's, it's where there's, there's all kind of like blues and greens and pinks and, and purples and all. And, and the thing about iridescent is it, it's not like they're straight, clean lines. The colors all just flow and they intermingle and where one stops and the other begins, you kind of have to study it careful. And, and you just start looking at it and all you can say when you look at that is, wow, this is multiple colored and it's full of color. It's like you're looking through depths of color. And it's interesting, that's the word that he uses here to say the wisdom of God. Look how deep it is. You, you can't just slice out a wisdom of God and say, oh, that's so simple. There's nothing to it. No, it's deep. It's unsearchable. It's beautiful. What's the intent? Paul says, I'm giving you this mystery that's been revealed. The intent is that the manifold wisdom of God would be shown by the church. The church is to show that depth of the wisdom of God. To whom? One of this really brings up something to try to ponder over. Look at the rest of verse 10. To the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Paul likes that, those words, especially as he writes the book of Ephesians. Over in the first chapter, in verse 21, he talks about all principalities and powers and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age that's to come. You remember in the sixth chapter when he's talking about putting on the armor of God? You remember in verse 11 he tells us put on that armor that we'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. The intent... It's for the manifold wisdom of God to be shown by the church to whom? Principalities and powers. And yes, there's a lot of debate about what's meant by that. Some have said he's talking only about the angels that are good angels and that the church is to show them God's wisdom. Others have said, no, it's only the bad angels, the wicked angels, and the church is to show them that wisdom. 
There have been some men that have said, no, no, that's only talking about the Jewish leaders. And I don't buy that at all because of the way it's even used over in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, it's not flesh and blood. It's some kind of heavenly being that is being shown. I think maybe where we make a horrible mistake is when we look at the earth only through earthly view and we think that it's only an earthly institution and we fail to appreciate the fact that the earth is holding only for a short time this beautiful institution of the church that was given to us as a part of the plan of redemption. And that for that plan to come into effect, that's the dispensation of the grace, the administration of the grace. And the only way that that plan could come into effect is for spiritual warfare to exist and God to win. That's what I believe that we're a part of in the church. Look with me, if you will, if you want to be turning to Revelation 12, before we turn there, uh, I want to show you just a couple of passages just to whet your appetite on this and to think about this. I'm going to stop by 2 Peter, the second chapter. 2 Peter, the second chapter. He's warning in the first three verses or four verses about the danger of false teachers and what if you follow them and the doom that is going to come in 2 Peter 2. In verse 4, he says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down in hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Now, he's going to go ahead and he's going to talk about how he also allowed the world to perish and saved only Noah. He allowed Sodom and Gomorrah to perish and save only Lot. But what's interesting is he doesn't look to the angels and say, let me tell you, I'm going to save a few of them. I don't understand it all, and, and I don't know it all. I, I get that. But the reality is we see angels that fell, and they did not have a means of redemption. They're simply chained, and they're waiting right now. We're not talking about a fairy tale. We're talking about spiritual warfare that took place. It was real, and it's real today. They rebelled against the authority that was given to them. Jude, verse 6, makes it very clear. Just let's turn over and read that verse very clearly. It's the wrestling match against authority. It goes back to the very first sin with, with Adam and Eve. She wanted to be like God. I want that authority. And, and it didn't work out so well. And when we come to Jude, the sixth verse, listen to this. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, they didn't obey the authority, but left their own abode he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Today at this very moment, there are angels that are in chain waiting on judgment. Nothing is told to us about them having the opportunity for redemption. Can you imagine what it's like for them to look at humans that have the opportunity for redemption? You think their eyes aren't open? You think they're not looking at that and saying, wow, look at the wisdom of God in that work of redemption through the church that we're all brought to Christ together. Amazing. Let's look at one more passage. Flip back to 1 Peter in 1 Peter, the first chapter, you remember in verse 10, he starts speaking about this administration of the grace, but he calls it salvation in verse 10. And he says, and this is 1 Peter, the first chapter of this salvation, the prophets have inquired. Keep in mind, many of the prophets that prophesied about the Messiah or prophesied things that come, they didn't fully understand it. 
Like for example, Peter stood on the day of Pentecost and he said that this salvation was for those that were far off. And you know what? When the Lord first sent him to go to Cornelius the Gentile, he had to show him a few times the vision. Peter had a hard time digesting. You want to be like, wait a minute, Peter, you're the one that preached the sermon. Yeah, but he's preaching that sermon of inspiration. There's parts of that sermon that he didn't even understand. And so notice this when we read in verse 10. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. In other words, they, they knew we're preaching something great. We just don't know exactly what we're preaching. We'd love to know more about this. And, and look in verse 11. Searching what? In what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified before the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, that they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. See this revelation, this working here, sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. And the Greek right there when it says look into is literally the Greek word for looking over the rim. You look over the rim into a deep container. The angels were literally looking over the rim to say, we know that there is some way that the administration of the grace of God is going to redeem man. We hear about this. We just don't know how it's going to work. And can you imagine how they looked over heaven and they watched Jesus Christ die? I don't know if the angels thought, whoa, this is over, this isn't good. Whatever they thought, we know what they realized on the third day. They're looking over. And can you imagine the joy in heaven? He's alive. Can you imagine the 40 days as he went around and showed himself in this resurrected one and they peeked over? And can you imagine as he ascended into heaven and they kept watching? Perhaps Jesus is right there with them saying, just watch what's going to happen in 10 days. What? Tell us what's going to happen in 10. Oh, just watch. As a matter of fact, you know, today's the day of Pentecost. I mean, today is. Isn't that amazing? And so he's saying here, if we went back over almost 2,000 years ago, on this day, he's saying, just peek over. Peek over. It's 50 days after Passover. Look, something great's going to happen. Can you imagine as, as they watched the church begin? Wow. So that's how all are going to be brought to one? Well, they maybe not even fully understood that then because there's no Gentiles then. It'd be over the next several years that it would be made clear when Peter was sent to Cornelius and when Paul was converted and sent to go out into all the Gentiles and to preach. And when so many of the Samaritans were brought, can you imagine the angels looking over and saying, this is amazing. But you know, not all angels were probably intrigued with this. Because there were other angels that challenged the authority that they probably wouldn't have been so impressed with this. Let's go to Romans, I mean, Revelation, the 12th chapter. In Revelation, the 12th chapter, we're going to uh, try to read and scan some things, but this is the Act 2 in the book of Revelation. And what we see here in this 12th chapter is we see four ways that God's Redemption tried to be destroyed by Satan and or his angels. 
And so um, I know we can't develop everything in this chapter, but there is a woman in verse one clothed with the sun. She's on the moon under her feet and her head with a garland of 12 stars. And she was pregnant with a child. And when we see that she is about to give birth to this child, we're introduced in three to a fiery red dragon. Now we know reading later on in this very same chapter in just a moment, that will clearly be revealed as Satan. And his tail in verse four drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth and the dragon. And those stars very well could be angels. Remember that very oftentimes is a representation of a messenger. Of, uh, and so, so a third of the stars may have fallen during uh, what's being told here. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations. Do you remember a male child that was born on this earth that was to be the king of all nations? With a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and on his throne. Wow, that was a story told pretty quickly of Jesus, wasn't it? You remember when Jesus was born and we read in the Bible and we see how Herod sought to destroy him. Do you think that was Herod working alone? No. It's real here that, that Satan was working along with Herod to say, I want to destroy that baby. I'm waiting for him to be born. And Satan didn't win that. When he went to the cross, don't you know that Satan's just hoping when he's dead, I'm going to hold him in the realm of the dead. I'm not going to let him go. But yet when God, the Father, resurrected him, he proved that he had more power over Satan. He was stronger. The victory was God's. I don't know the spiritual battle that took place there, but we know from reading this, Satan didn't achieve what he wanted to achieve, and God did. And Jesus, at this point now, is back in heaven. Well, that wasn't enough. Satan will try something else. So we'll go to verse 7 and see what else he tried. A war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. How does, how does an angelic battle work? What do you picture in your mind? I wish I could read your mind right now. Are you picturing lightsabers? You know, I mean, what, what are you picturing? Are you picturing like, 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 fighting machines that can leap and can fly? I don't know. And maybe, maybe what I picture and what you picture is completely wrong, but I know what is completely right. There was a spiritual battle that took place. And Satan and his angels had moved out of their place and beyond their authority, and they wanted to fight the ones that were going to remain submissive to God and remain in the proper place. And so Michael and his angels fought. And we see in verse 9, the one that they were fighting, in verse 8, they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So they're cast out. And in, in 9, we see it's that great dragon. We see it's the serpent of old. It's, it's the devil. Satan deceives the whole world. And at the end of that, we see his angels were cast out with him. But notice what is talked about in 10. It's part of that administration of the grace of God. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. Now think about this. This is a loud voice. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. Now pause there for just a moment. Why would a loud voice be saying this at this time? Because these are the things that Satan was fighting against. These are the things his angels wanted to destroy. What did they want to destroy? They wanted to destroy the administration of God's grace upon this earth. They didn't want salvation to exist. 
They didn't want Christ's way of being the Savior reign. They didn't want his power to exist. They didn't want his kingdom, the church, to exist on this earth. Destroy Christ's cause. Destroy his kingdom. Don't let him be a Savior. And so when they are defeated, there's a loud voice in heaven saying, look, all of this is still true. All of this still reigns. How did they overcome? Well, and notice what they overcame in Tim was the one who wants to stand and constantly accuse the brethren. Can you imagine Satan whispering in God's ear, look at your child there, look at them sin, look at your child over there sin. And can you imagine God saying, I don't want to hear it. The blood of Christ has cleansed them. Get away, accuser. Aren't you glad that you're not going to be judged on the day of judgment? based off Satan's testifying. All Satan would ever do is verbally blast everything wrong you and I have ever done. He would not recognize the forgiveness that comes through Christ. Verse 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That's the power of our redemption. And by the word of their testimony, they were going to stand and they were going to say the word of God. They were not going to deny God. They were not going to deny the lamb or his word. But then there's something about their commitment and their love. Look at the last of that verse. They did not love their lives to the death. In other words, do you love the Lord more or do you love your life? Because if you like or love your life more, you can deny the Lord and you can live longer. I'm not turning my back on God. You can take my life. You can take my conveniences. You can take my comfort. I believe in Christ and I believe in his kingdom. I'm not turning my back on his church. I'm not turning my back on my Lord. And they overcame the evil one by being willing to give their physical life up before they would give up their spiritual stand with Christ and his kingdom, the church. Do you see why we've been saying the last few weeks if people truly understood what the church was, it would never in people's mind be a casual place that they come and go, but it would be a connection that they make for life and for eternal life. And so we continue reading here. And where does, where does the rejoicing take place? Look at verse 12. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens. You remember Luke, the 15th chapter, when a soul is saved, where does rejoicing take place? It takes place in heaven. It's the same way here. There's this spiritual war that goes on. And when somebody on this earth decides to unite with those that are victorious, those that are victorious are going to give a cheer. They're going to give rejoicing. Look, another one has overcome. Satan has lost another one. He tried to destroy Jesus at his birth and at the cross, and he couldn't do it. So he turns around, and they take the battle to heaven. And Michael and his angels defeat Satan and his angels. And those that are spiritual, that stay with the Lamb, they overcome because they stayed with the one that was victorious. But he didn't give up there. In verse 13, we start reading of another thing that Satan tried to destroy. Look at 13. Now when the dragon saw that it, he had been cast to the earth, 
he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Now, this is a big question. Who is the woman that gave birth to Jesus? But this woman, of course, obviously, a lot of people are going to immediately say Mary, but it won't line up with everything that's said here. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place when she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time for the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon spewed out of his mouth. So maybe there's, there's some here saying, wow, I'm not really for sure who the woman is. We know that the woman gave birth to Jesus, and we know that while the woman was on this earth, God protected the woman and gave her wings. Anytime she was attacked, she could fly away to a place of safety. Who is this woman? Well, let's read verse 17 and see the fourth one, and then we'll come back to 13 through 16. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. So he said, okay, I'm not having very much luck in destroying the woman, so let me go and try to destroy the rest of her offspring. I missed the male child, Jesus, that was born. Let me try to destroy the rest of the offspring. Who are the rest of the offspring? Who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Christians, the church. Try to destroy the rest. Saul was part of that movement. Remember in the early part of the church when there's persecution? Paul tried to destroy the cause of Christ. He tried to destroy the people that were a part of the cause of Christ. And throughout time, there have been those that have tried to wipe out the woman's children, which is the church. So who is the woman? The woman is God's eternal plan. God's eternal plan to redeem you and I is what gave birth to Jesus coming to this earth. God's eternal plan is what gave birth to the church, to those that would be children of God. And so he tried to destroy that and, and he was unable to destroy it. But what I want you to see tonight is I want you to see that there is this spiritual warfare that has taken place literally trying to destroy Christ, trying to destroy the, the Father in heaven and, and the heavenly realm trying to come back to this earth and destroy the eternal plan as it was on this earth and then finally saying, well, let's just destroy all the followers. So you say, how does this administration of the grace of God exist today? Because there's been spiritual warfare and Christ has won every time. And then the question is, who are you going to be? Do you realize the blessing that we have to be a part of the church? Now, if you will turn back to Ephesians, the first chapter. We studied about the church in the second chapter, in the third chapter. Will you read with me beginning in verse 3? And let's just notice several things. We'll just try to quickly make a few points along the way. But notice the beauty of this as the things that we've already studied tonight. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so, remember, the heavenly places is not just talking about heaven. It's talking about those that live within that eternal plan. By the way, I, I know we're running out of time and I can't run you everywhere. Hold your finger here and drop back just a few pages. Go back to Romans 8. Let me show you an example of how the eternal plan is mentioned and used in Scripture. Uh, look at Romans 8 and 28. You're going to recognize verse 28 very well. 
And we know, Romans 8 and 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who what? Love God and to those who are called what? According to his purpose. God is going to offer all of his spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. What's the heavenly places? The heavenly places are those who live according to his purpose. Those that are living their life according to his eternal plan. In other words, the administration of the grace of God is provided through his eternal plan. It wasn't just so happened that Jesus was born on this earth. It was a part of the eternal plan. The church didn't come out of just something happened. No, it was a part of the eternal plan. And the fact that you and I have the hope of eternal life is a part of the eternal plan. Notice how he says the rest of this. We, we have in verse 29 the follow-up for this eternal plan. For whom he foreknew. You see, he knew about it beforehand. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called. Whom he called, those he also justified. And whom he justified, those he also glorified. In other words, there is this predestined plan God's eternal plan. And anybody that wants to become a part of this plan, they can be called to it. They can be justified in it. And when they are in it, it gives glory to God. Look what God has done. And also it gives glory to God to anybody. Remember what we left a while back in Ephesians, the third chapter and verse 10? The manifold wisdom of God is to show, and it's to the church, the intent of the church is to show the manifold wisdom of God to the powers and principalities. Think about those that are being held waiting for judgment as angels. And they're looking at the church and all they can say now is, wow, that plan that we tried to thwart is amazing. Think about the heavenly angels that are still there that are looking over the edge and think how they constantly see the church and all they can say is the wisdom of God is amazing. Look how rich it is. Look how deep it is. Look how its depth is unsearchable. Now let's go back to Ephesians, the first chapter. We know that all of these blessings are found in the heavenly places. In verse 4, he has chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So this eternal plan was before, back when, when before there was time, before God said, let there be light. In verse 5, having predestined us to adoptions by his son, by, as sons, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to what? The good pleasure of his will. He has predestined us. Oh, why did he do it? It's a part of his eternal plan. It's a part of the pleasure of his will. That is what he wanted to accomplish. And what does that leave? To the praise of the glory of his grace. The angels in heaven can look down at the church and say, wow, look at the grace of God. Praise God for the grace of God. Look at that wise eternal plan that he has executed brilliantly throughout time. But it doesn't stop there. Look at seven. In him, we have what? Now, now he switched to talking mainly. Before it's been, the emphasis has been on God the Father. Now in seven and following, the emphasis is on Christ. In him, we have what? Through Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins, according to what? 
the riches of his grace. It's not shallow grace that can bring the forgiveness of sins that you and I need. It's rich, rich grace, which he made to abound. That's to overflow. Our cup runs over toward us in what? All wisdom and all prudence. That is amazing. The wisdom of God is going to bring us that grace. Verse 9, having made known unto us, here it is, the mystery of his will. You see, before, the generations before didn't understand this. The dispensations of time before didn't understand this. This has been made known. This mystery has been made known to us in the church according to his, back again, to his good pleasure, to his eternal plan, which he purposed. What's the purpose of the mystery? It's his eternal plan. He purposed in himself that in, now we're back to that word dispensation, that in that dispensation, in that administration of grace, in the fullness of time, when was Christ born upon this earth? When it was time. God's plan. When did he die? Remember, he kept saying before, my hour's not yet come, my hour's not yet come. And when it was time, he died. When was he resurrected? The first day? The second day? No, when it was time. The third day. When did he ascend? When it was time. When did the church begin? When it's time. When is he coming back again to take the church and deliver them to the Father? When it's time. In the fullness of time. This administration of the grace of God has always been in the fullness of time. He might do what? It gives me cold chills from everything we've been studying in the last two weeks. He's going to do what? He might gather together in one He's going to bring all of us, Jews and Gentiles, everybody together in Christ, the one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. The plan is so eternal. In a sense, we're already united with the heavenly host. We have been all brought together in one. So let's close. We go back to the third chapter and look at verse 10 again, and we'll start bringing this to a close. To the intent, third chapter, verse 10, what is the purpose? And now is the manifold wisdom of God. That wisdom is so rich. It's iridescent. And it's going to be made known by the church to whom the principalities and powers, they're going to look and they're going to be amazed that the church exemplifies the wisdom of God so much. And what's it going to be according to in verse 11? Back to that very same thing we've been studying. According to the eternal purpose. That was the purpose that Satan tried to destroy in Revelation 12 and wasn't able. Which he accomplished. You see, it was a battle. It was a spiritual battle. That's why it was accomplishment. He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of that victory, verse 12, we can have boldness and we can have access with confidence through faith in him. Listen, you and I, we can have boldness that we can come to the Father through Christ, but it's only because all of the wisdom of God has led to that. We can't do it on our own. It's only because He's made way of access, because He's made the way we can stand with boldness because we're standing with Christ. And so He says in 13, and this ties back to the first verse where He says, I'm a prisoner for the Gentiles. In other words, Paul says back in verse 1, I've gone through a lot of suffering to try to take this mystery to the Gentiles. A lot of Jews didn't like it. I went through a lot of suffering for this. So now he comes back to that in verse 13. And he says, therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Y'all not lose heart over this. 
Paul says, I'm thankful to have one small part in the administration of the grace of God. And if I have to suffer so that you guys can have this mystery, you ought to glory God, glorify God for the mystery and not be discouraged because of the suffering. When you and I win Christ and we are found faithful in his church, everything else is all right. It doesn't matter how tough things are at work. It doesn't matter how tough things are at home. And I'm not saying those things do not have pain and they do not have challenges. But I'm just saying to you, we can deal with our challenges, whether it's in the community, at home, or at work. And if we deal with them in such a way that we separate ourselves from our Savior, from the administration of the grace that's been brought to us to be one with Christ, we have given up everything that matters. And any problem that comes in our life that does not separate us from Christ or his church, we are okay. In spite of the pain, in spite of the, the, the disappointments, we are still okay. We're better than okay. We're victorious with God. And so tonight, I hope that we realize that the only way we're part of the Lord's church is that some horrendous battles have been fought. Michael and his angels, the heavenly father, Jesus Christ, and then other wonderful men like Peter and Paul and John, and even individuals much more contemporary in our lives that in our families, but especially in our spiritual family that have gone through tough times and they've never given up on God. Praise God. Glory be to God for his eternal purpose and that administration of the grace that brings it. And tonight, if you're not a part of that, I hope you just get a taste tonight of what you're missing and that you're missing all that matters. And if you're ready tonight to be baptized into Christ, allow the grace of God to save you and to change you. We'd love to help you with that. Maybe you've been a part and along the way you failed to appreciate all that God has already done for you before the beginning of time and throughout time and will do for you for eternity and you're sorry for that and you want to repent of that and you want to confess sin and pray forgiveness. Let's all just leave here tonight loving God and his church.